Well, I want you to turn your Bibles uh, to John 15. And uh, we're going to be specifically in verses 5 through 11. If you're new with us, my name is Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Salem Chapel. And so whether you're in this room or you're watching us online, it's so great to have you here this morning. And we are kicking off a series entitled Abide. And if you call Salem Chapel your home, if you're brand new here and you're visiting, uh, if you've been watching us online for a while, um, I want you to know this, that what we are going to talk about today and for the next five weeks, so this six-week series, is really one that we have been praying for the last 18 months and working hard at really preparing us for what is going to become the culture of this place. To where when I say the word abide, you're no longer going to wonder what does Johnny mean by that. But you're going to know what the Bible has to say about that, the importance of it, why you should be doing that in your life, and you're going to know how to do it. And so I don't say that to be overdramatic. I say that because we are embarking on a journey that will begin today, but hopefully it will be one that you will look back on in your life, if you call this place your home, that you'll be able to say, man, I know what it means to abide in Jesus, and I know how to do that in my life. And I can look back and say that that journey really began in a significant way with Jesus, in September of 2021. And so John 5, verses 5 through 11 is where we're going to be this morning. And I want to start in verse 5. So we're kind of jumping into this passage of Scripture. Uh, I'm not going to be able to deal with every nuance of this passage of Scripture, but that's okay because after these next six weeks, guess what we're doing for quite a lengthy time is we're going to walk through the book of John. And so I don't feel the pressure to have to uh, deal with every nuances, nuance of this passage because we're going to teach on it again. Uh, so I want to start in verse 5. Jesus says this. This is Jesus speaking. I am the vine. You are the branches. Who's the vine? Starts with a J. Jesus. Very good. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Not a little but much. And then he says this, for apart from me you can do, what's the next word? Nothing. Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as, my, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the title of the message today. Abide with Jesus. Abide with Jesus. Just to give you a little context to what we're looking at today. So uh, this was spoken, these words were spoken hours before Jesus' death. He's getting ready to go 
towards the road to the cross. And, and what you'll find is in John is that there are seven I am statements that Jesus makes that John records, John being one of the three closest disciples to Jesus, that he records to show Jesus' deity. What I mean by that is that Jesus is God. Yes, he had human flesh, but he was God in human form. He put on human flesh, second person of the Trinity. So John is really recording these words to prove that Jesus is God. And so this is the last of those seven I am statements. And here is what Jesus is getting across to those that were listening and to us today. That Jesus is the source of your spiritual life. Nothing else. Jesus is the source. He's the source of your spiritual vitality. He's the source of your spiritual growth. He's the source of you producing anything that is of eternal significance. Jesus is that source. And he uses the word abide to get across that idea. So that word abide is the Greek word meno. It literally means this, to remain or to commune with. It has a very relational idea to it. And I think it's interesting that John, who's one of the closest of Jesus' disciples, he was kind of like that inner three of the 12, that John knew best what it meant to be in that close relationship with Jesus. In fact, you won't find any other gospel that uses that word abide. Only John uses it. And John understood more than anyone else what it meant to abide with Jesus, to commune with Jesus, to be in relationship with Jesus in an intimate and special way. And in verses 1 through 11, it's mentioned 11 times. So let me just help you out. When you're reading God's word on your own and you find a word that's mentioned over and over and over again, that should stop you and say, this word obviously has some value. And this word abide has some value. In fact, it's going to become one of the uh, words that becomes the fabric of this church. Like, I don't know if you realize it or not, but if you got a cup of coffee this morning, did you notice that along the back wall there's that word abide? Like, it wasn't like, well, it was kind of a cool word that we can come up with to make the coffee place look kind of cool. Oh, abide sounds good. No, there's significance for that, and you're going to see that over the next six weeks. But what I want you to understand today is that a lot of times we, we view Jesus in this way. We view Jesus as, as our Savior in the sense that Jesus is to us the person that lived and died and rose again for our sins. And if that is how you view him, that's awesome. You need to view him that way. He is your Savior. He lived a perfect life for your sinful life. He died on the cross for your sins and my sins, paying the penalty that my sin deserved and your sin deserved, which was death. He rose again three days later, showing that his perfect life and his perfect death was a was approved and affirmed by God is sufficient for your salvation and mine. We need to view the Lord as a Savior. But that's not where it ought to stop. We just don't need to view Jesus as the one who saved us from our sins, but we also need to view Jesus as the one who wants to experience relationship with us and is asking us to experience relationship with him. He wants us to abide with him. He just didn't save us from our sin, but he saved us to experience fruitfulness in our life. And he used the word abide to describe it. 
Now, I'm curious, how many of you, I did this at the first service, the majority of people raised their hand, but I'm not taking for granted that that may be true in this service. How many of you have heard this passage of scripture before? Raise your hand. Okay, just like the first service. The vast majority, like I, I worded it like that rather than, how many of you have never heard this, heard this passage of scripture before and you're like, I know I should raise my hand, but I'm not gonna raise my hand because I don't wanna be judged. So the vast majority of you, I didn't see if every person raised their hand but probably 90% of the people in this room and those of you online who are really tracking with me this morning, you may have even raised your hand as well. And if you did, that's awesome. Here's why, here's why I did that. Because the majority of us in this room know this passage of scripture. The majority of us in this room know that Jesus tells us to abide. The majority of the people in this room know that Jesus says if you don't do it, you can't accomplish anything. But I wonder how many of us are not abiding. I came up with some reasons why that may be the case. Here's the first one. We have a false identity of ourselves or others. Like even though Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, we get it confused and think that we're the vine and he's the branch. Or we think to ourselves, no, 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 my occupation is the vine. That's what I remain in. That's what I give the most of my time to. That's what consumes me. No, 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 my dreams and goals are the vine. I'm looking for that to produce something in me of significance. That that's the thing that I give all of my time and my attention and my thoughts to and everything is those dreams and those goals. Maybe it's a person Maybe you're like, man, I, I, I want this relationship. I finally found this relationship with this person and I finally feel like they are going to give me what I didn't have before and so the vine for us is not Jesus but maybe it's that relationship. Maybe it's that marriage partner and we're looking for that person to give us what Jesus says he will give us. Maybe it's a mentor, maybe it's someone and you're like, man, this mentor means so much to me, like I look up to them, like I, I put them on a pedestal and so if we were to be honest this morning, we would say, actually, Jesus is not my vine, my mentor's my vine. Maybe you might even be here and you're like, you know what, the, one of the pastors here is my vine and I'm looking for him to give me what I need. Here's why I mention that, because if anyone other than Jesus is your vine, you are placing that thing or that person on a pedestal and they can never be what Jesus promises to be in this passage of scripture. But I think one of the reasons why we fail to abide is because we look to our we have a false identity of ourselves or someone else. Here's another one. We have a false reality of what we can achieve on our own. What does Jesus say at the second part of verse 5? He says, "Apart from me, you can do nothing." But we trick ourselves into thinking that we can do something. Now, let me emphasize this. There's a lot of things that you can do without Jesus. A lot of things. Let me just list some of the things that you can do. Um, you can earn a living without Jesus. You can raise a family without Jesus. You can practice generosity without Jesus. You can be what society would deem a good person without Jesus. Get this, this may shock you, you can pastor a church without abiding in Jesus. You can counsel people without abiding in Jesus. I know it sounds foreign, but I'm telling you, you can do it. You can do it. Because a popular misconception is this about fruit, that fruit means outward success. 
Uh, you can be in the business world and you can be leading a company or you can be in whatever it is, uh, uh, whatever occupation you have and whatever those goals they set and you can be knocking them out of a park, man. You can be batting a thousand. But that's outward success. You can pastor a church and be like, man, we need to get more seats and we don't have no way how we're gonna spend all the money that's coming in. But that's outward success. You can have a desire, man, I wanted to be married, I finally am married, and you're like, man, okay, I, now I've arrived. But that in and of itself may not be fruitfulness. What am I saying here? I'm saying that outward success does not equate the fruitfulness that Jesus is talking about. Listen to me, if you planted a tree and that tree grew, let's say the only thing I'm familiar with is orange trees, like, I'm from Florida. Like, I never saw an apple tree until I went and moved up to Pennsylvania. So we're going to use an orange tree, okay? Maybe that's the reason why that's the tree we used on our branding. I have no idea. But let's just go with the orange tree, all right? Identify with me. Think that, you know, you know what those look like. Um, so orange tree. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm cultivating this tree, and I'm planting this tree, and I'm watering this tree. But here's the problem. I don't see any fruit being produced on this tree. So I know what I do. I'm gonna go to the store and I'm gonna buy a bushel of oranges. And I'm literally gonna put a little hook on the oranges and I'm gonna hang them all on the tree. And I'm gonna like, look at this tree. Look at all the oranges. And you might look at it and not even notice the hooks and be like, wow, that's an amazing tree. But that tree hasn't produced any fruit. Why? Because it's all external. I've hung it on there. And that's so often how our outward success is. So what is the fruit that Jesus is talking about in this passage of Scripture? What is he speaking of? What he's speaking of is the fruit of his character manifested in you. See, I can't produce that on my own. I can be successful in whatever the world or culture wants to define it, whatever culture I live in. But I cannot produce on my own the character of Jesus manifested through my life. The fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I can't produce that on my own. That's what Jesus is talking about. So a lot of times we have a false reality of what we can achieve on our own. Here's another reason why we're maybe not abiding in Jesus. And we have a cynical perspective towards God. Maybe you were one of the ones that raised their hand and was like, yeah, I've heard that passage of scripture before. Yeah, I may have even had it memorized. But in reality, I don't really live that way anymore. I don't really see the significance of that. I haven't seen it played out in my life. Like, like it just, I'm cynical right now and I have a cynical perspective. Why? Because you're having a hard time rationalizing maybe how life is hard and God can be good. Or you're having a hard time maybe seeing today how the Lord can actually invite you to abide with him when you know how you have lived. Like how could the Lord be inviting me to abide with him when I've been involved in the sin that I've been in? Like you're like, Johnny, it's even a miracle that I'm watching right now or I'm sitting here right now. But somehow I'm here and I know that you're saying that about the Lord. I know that I've just read that and what the Lord's inviting me, but I can't see past my past. So you may have a cynical perspective towards God. Maybe you see God as the one who only takes away rather than gives. You know, John 10, 10 says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give life and to give it abundantly. And some of us right now are struggling because we're seeing God as the one who steals, kills, and destroys. 
Maybe that's a reason why you're not abiding. How about this one? Maybe it's just a lack of knowledge and experience. Now, here's the deal. I've never pastored in the South before Salem Chapel. Like, I grew up in Orlando. Last 10 years, I spent in Naples, Florida. Newsflash, that ain't the South. First time I've ever pastored in the South. Here's what's interesting to me. Anybody that I've ever met that, that, uh, that I didn't know who went to church, here's what I've yet to find. And I know they're out there, but here's what I've yet to find. Anyone who's told me, yeah, I've never been to church in my entire life. I haven't found that yet here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm sure they're out there. But 75% of this population in our city says they go to a church. It's only 25% that aren't connected to a church. And that doesn't mean that they used to go there at one point. So here's what I know when I think about the significance of what we're going to talk about today and over the next six weeks is there are many in this city, and you may be even one of them, and you just happen to be here today or listening today or watching today that would say, yeah, I used to do that church thing. I used to do that Jesus thing. But here's what I found. I was involved in the church, but the relationships that I saw in the church looked nothing like Jesus. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Or I grew up in church and all it was was about a bunch of rules and regulations and the way that they motivated people to abide by those things was guilt and shame and fear and I don't want to have anything to do with that. Or you may be here today or you're listening today or you know someone that's in this way that's like, you know what, I've run into too many people that say they believe in Jesus but their lives look nothing like it and I don't want to have anything to do with them. So maybe the reason why you're not abiding with Jesus is because that characterizes you. Or maybe you're like, man, I've heard this passage of scripture a bunch of times and I've been told I'm supposed to do it. I've been told the reasons why I need to do it, but nobody showed me how to do it. Isn't that the most frustrating thing is when someone tells you to do something and doesn't show you how to do it? So maybe it's a lack of knowledge or experience. I think those are some reasons why we don't abide with Jesus. So here's the idea that I want you to get today, is this. Jesus is inviting you to abide with him. That's what he's doing today. That's what he will do tomorrow, if God gives us tomorrow, is he is inviting you to abide with him. You know, depending on how you see the Lord, you can read this passage of scripture and when it says in verse five, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Or you can 11 different times, it's mentioned here, read the word abide in me and think that Jesus is just giving a command. But I want you to understand something, that Jesus is inviting you to abide with him. And when you read those words abide in me, what you need to understand is that's not just something Jesus is asking you to do, but it's something that Jesus wants to do with you. So if we're going to talk about abiding, then I think it's pretty important that we define the word abide. So I already mentioned what the Greek word means. It means to remain, to commune, to be in fellowship with. But here's how we're going to define it at Salem Chapel. Literally this way. Abide means this, walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. Hand in hand. Now here's what I know. Some of you, some of us, Maybe it's a girl, maybe, most likely it's guys. The idea of holding someone's hand, especially if in your mind it's another dude, is the last thing that you would want to do. 
And so you read that definition if you're a man and you're like, man, that doesn't excite me at all to want to do that with Jesus. But here's what I've found. Jesus says this in the word, that you are to have a faith of a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so when I was thinking about how we word this definition of abide, there's a lot of definitions we could have come up with. But here's what I've found about myself. When I bring myself to the place to understand that I need to hold Jesus' hand, I need to be in fellowship with him, I need to be walking in step with him, it takes a sense of humility to say that I cannot walk this life on my own, that I need someone else to lead me and to hold my hand in doing so. So those words were chosen on purpose so that guys, if that definition is like, eh, I'm not into that, that is the perfect reason for you to say, no, 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 abiding with Jesus takes a sense of humility that I'm not strong enough to walk on my own, that I need to walk hand in hand with someone and allow him to lead the way. Now, you could be in this room this morning, and maybe you don't have kids, but you know people that do have kids, and here's the reality. We all used to be kids, or you can be a parent in here this morning, and this is going to apply directly to where you live right now in this very moment, and then you may be like me, and you can remember the time that this was true of you. Did you ever experience when you were holding your parent's hand, your daddy's hand, and just the sense of security that came from that, the strength that came from that, like I'm holding my dad's hand. You know, and then you're someone like me who my kids are now both teenagers, so I can't remember the last time they wanted to hold my hand, let alone they did hold my hand. But I remember when they were younger. In fact, I have a picture in my office of me holding Lily's hand and Lucas's hand, and Lily's like three, and Lucas is like six months And we're standing there on the water in Naples, Florida. It's just my back. It's on my office right now. And just what that communicates, I love that picture because it's like, man, I got both of my kids with me and they see me as their protector. They see me as their provider. They see me as the one who loves them. That's the idea of abide. Now here's what's also true. I can also think of times when we were in the grocery store that holding them holding my hand was not an exactly joyful, momentous occasion. Like, I'm not going to have someone up here do it with me because uh, it might be captured on video and I'll never live it down. But you remember those times when you're holding your kid's hand and they literally become limp, right? Like, they lose all sense of cognitive functions and they're just lying on the ground and you're having to pull them. I remember with my kids, it was like, you're going to embarrass me? I have no problem embarrassing you. But you remember what that's like, and you're literally dragging them as they flail on the ground and you're taking them somewhere, right? Or they're like really excited to ride a ride or to go, get the, go to the ice cream truck or whatever it is, and what are they doing? They're actually leading you. But what is our definition? No, 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 abide is walking hand in hand with Jesus as what? Not as I flail on the ground and throw a temper tantrum, God, I don't wanna go that way. Not as God, I want you to go this way with me, but as he does what? He leads the way. That's how we're gonna define abide in this place. And so what I wanna do in the remaining of our time is look at this passage of scripture today and I wanna give you four things that you will experience when you accept the invitation to abide with Jesus. See, this morning we're gonna talk about why we need to abide, what that looks like, what we experience when we abide, and then for the next five weeks, we're gonna lay out exactly how you can practice that in your life. 
Before I give you those four things, I think it's interesting, Revelation 3.20. In fact, I encourage you to write that in the margin of your Bible on this John 15, 5 through 11 passage. Because Revelation 3.20, who's also written by John, the same person that wrote this gospel, says this in verse 20. Behold, this is Jesus speaking. John penning Jesus' words as he's given this vision into the future. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, like in my Bible, I wrote my name above that word anyone. So literally, here's what I would love you to do. I'd love you to do that. So that when you read it as I'm reading it, it'll say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If Johnny puts your name in there, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit and meet with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. I love these verses. Why? Because they drip with fellowship and communion and relationship and victory when we do that. Do you see that? The one who conquers, how do I conquer? How do I overcome? By abiding with Jesus, that literally we will be with him and fellowship with him for all of eternity in heaven one day, but we also can experience that here in the, in the here and now. Now, if you're like me in the church that I grew up with, we always viewed that verse in terms of salvation, do you remember the painting? I remember this painting. Like there's certain paintings in my mind that I remember. Not always the greatest depictions of Jesus. Like this, I remember this painting, and I don't have the picture uh, to show you, but, but some of you can jive with me, is, is there you have Renaissance Jesus standing at the door and knocking, like the absolute opposite of what Jesus would look like. But nevertheless, that's the picture I remember. I don't know where it was on my grandmother's wall or whatever, but I, always view, I was always taught that in terms of salvation. But it's interesting. If you look at Revelation 1 through 3, Jesus isn't speaking to unsaved people. Who's he speaking to? Church. Churches. And so Revelation 3.20 is not necessarily about salvation, though obviously we could apply it to that. But it's actually speaking about fellowship. It's speaking about abiding. Like Jesus is there and he's knocking at your life. And he's saying, don't close me out. Don't close the door on me. I want to come in with you. It doesn't say, but Jesus is about to bust down the door and bring down some fury and kick over some tables and whip you into shape. What does it say? I don't know. He wants to come in. He wants to eat with you. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to spend time with you. And he wants to you to do that with him. And I wonder this morning if some of us have shut the door on Jesus for any one of the reasons that I mentioned earlier, or maybe another. And I want you to walk away this morning understanding Jesus is inviting you to abide with him. So what do we experience? Let me give you these four things quickly. Verse seven we experience Jesus' care for us, care for you, care for me. I mean, what does Jesus say in verse seven? He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now here's what I know. If you're one of those people who may be skeptical right now towards the Lord, you're like, ah, see? I've seen in my life that that verse is not a reality. 
Johnny, I am asking the Lord to do something right now and he hasn't done it yet. Or I can think about asking the Lord to do something in a certain way, but he didn't do it that way. So right now I got you. But can I encourage you with this? Is that Jesus is talking about a prayer life that is built on relationship, that is relational in nature, not transactional. See, a lot of times when we pray, we pray with a list, which is fine. I pray with a list. But literally, we come to God. Remember our definition? Jesus, I'm leading you. And you better do it the way that I want, because if you don't, I'm closing the door. But we miss what's in verse seven before we get to ask whatever you wish. He says, if, your word, if my words abide in you and you abide in me, ask whatever you wish. Because how does Jesus pray? And we're gonna look at this in two weeks. Jesus prays when he's there in the garden, he's praying, Lord, if it's any way possible for you to save mankind without me having to endure this suffering and this pain and this shame and bearing the sin of the world, past, present, and future upon my shoulders, Lord, would there be a way, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See, it's me praying with an attitude that, Lord, these are my needs, these are my desires. This is how I want you to intervene. But God, it's anchored in a reality. You care for me. You listen to me. And you will intervene with me in a way that I can't even imagine. In a way that may not make sense in the time that you do it but in a way that I will experience your care in a deeper way. Jesus' care for you is what you experience when you sit at the table, when you invite him in, when you open the door. Here's the second thing. It's found in verse 8. Jesus' work in you is something I'll experience. Look at what it says in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The result of me abiding with Jesus is what? It's fruitfulness. Notice Jesus says twice in that passage of scripture, not that I'll bear a little fruit, but that I'll bear what? Much fruit. That's why I said Jesus just didn't save you from your sins. He saved you to be fruitful. And who of us does not want to experience fruit? Who of us doesn't want to see Jesus' character growing in us? Who of us doesn't want to see how our lives, as sinful as they may be in whatever our past is, and experiencing life transformation and how that transformation can even impact other people and how God actually chooses to use me to have an impact in other people? Who doesn't want to experience that type of life? But you know what I've found in my life? is that the fruit that bears in my life, the fruitfulness that I experience is often the result of submitting to the pruning of the vine dresser. See, I didn't read verses one and two, but look at verse one, it's, Jesus says this, I am the true vine. Interesting, he says true vine, because what, what did I say earlier? We like to think, about other vines that can produce what only Jesus can produce. And my Father, God the Father, is the vine dresser. 
He's the one that takes care of your life. He's the one that works in your life through the Holy Spirit to produce fruitfulness in you as you are connected to Jesus through his salvation. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Interesting, you would think it would say every branch that bears fruit, he keeps. He leaves it alone. He doesn't touch it. Why? Because it's produced fruit. But what does it say? He prunes it. That's interesting. If you don't understand anything about horticulture or any of those things, not that I'm an expert by any means, but what does he prune it? That it may bear more fruit. Here's what I found. When I was working at SeaWorld, uh, I did worked at SeaWorld in college. Many of you, I've used the illustrations of that before. Um, but I remember I came in there, I knew nothing. So it wasn't like I had this great experience and they hired me. No, no, I knew nothing. And so I remember the first time we were going to this bush, there was this massive hibiscus bush um, outside of, of where the dolphins, uh, you could feed the dolphins, massive hibiscus bush, and it was blooming, these beautiful blooms, beautiful flowers, and my supervisor was like, yeah, we need to trim that hedge. And so I'm taking the hedge trimmers. Pretend these are hedge trimmers. I forgot mine at home, all right? Obviously, these are not. So I'm there, and I'm, and I'm trimming this hedge. And you know what I did? I trimmed everything around what? The blooms, the flowers. And the supervisor came back and was like, no, 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 no. You got to cut you didn't cut the bush. I'm like, what do you mean? I did cut the bush. She's like, no, no, no. There's all these flowers left. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Isn't that what we want? We want the people to come in and be like, oh, look how amazing the horticulture, the, 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 the foliage is at SeaWorld. He's like, no, you need to cut the thing, cut all those blooms off. So I remember cutting all of those off and thinking to myself, I mean, I knew nothing, but at the same time, I thought I knew something. And so I was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. And so I got done cutting that thing off. There was not one stinking flower on that whole thing. It looked to me as ugly, and it was even kind of bare. But I learned something, because in six months, I went back to that same bush, and that bush had way more blooms and flowers on it than it did before. Why? I learned a lesson about pruning. Because God is not about you just producing fruit. God is about you producing super fruit. And oftentimes, the shears that the Lord uses, the vine dressers, the handle is made up of suffering. And the shears are the word of God. In fact, what does it say in Hebrews 12 too? The word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the joints and marrow of your heart. See, I've found in my life that when I submit to suffering, not that I ask for it, not that I'm like, Lord, bring it on, but when it comes into my life and I submit to it, here's what I've found. The word of God becomes so much richer in terms of whatever the Lord is trying to teach me in that moment. And the result of submitting to that suffering and submitting to that pruning is that the Lord produces something, does a work in me that I cannot take credit for. Listen to me, you want to know, you want to know the staff knows this, people that know me, one of the most precious passages of scripture to me is Psalm 27. I could not say that four years ago. I couldn't say that three years ago. 
But that was a psalm that the Lord used significantly in my life when I was going through something extremely difficult that was a pruning moment in my life, so much so that I got a tattoo of it. Now, by no means am I endorsing tattoos. Like, if your children are asking for a tattoo, kids don't say, Johnny said, you could get a tattoo. Let me cover all my bases this morning. Here's what I know. The Lord will tattoo it on your heart, okay? But you know what I've, some of the fruit that I've experienced? Not that I don't still struggle with it, but all of a sudden when I'm dealing with fear or I'm dealing with trust, I'm wanting to trust or dealing with cynicism, all of a sudden now when I think of Psalm 27, and the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? That has great significance in my life that it didn't have before. Why? Because suffering is the handles of the shears, and the shears is the word of God. And when we submit to that cutting, you're like, no, Lord, not that. That looked good. Or not that. There's nothing wrong with that. Lord, I'm fine for being these four little branches with, with a couple flowers on it. I'm good with that. Like, I'm okay with that. I don't have to be the biggest bush. Like, I'm good with that. No, no, no. The Lord's not satisfied with you with the status quo. The Lord wants you to bear much fruit. And man, when I experience abiding with Jesus and I submit to that process and I open that door and I allow him to commune with me and me to commune with him, the result is, is Jesus produces a work in you that he gets full glory for. Here's the third thing. You experience Jesus' love for you. Look what it says in verses nine and 10. It says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Like, just think about that. How God the Father loves Jesus, which is perfect. Jesus loves you perfectly. Abide in my what? In my love. It says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Listen to me. It's not just about judgment with Jesus. Remember, it's not Jesus kicking in the door and saying, you didn't open it, I didn't, you didn't give me time, I'm kicking it in now, I'm turning over the tables, I'm bringing judgment, I'm bringing hell fury, hell's fury. Is God a God of justice? Absolutely. Does he punish sin? Absolutely. But don't miss this, God is a God of love. Does he want to be your savior? Absolutely. But listen to me. He also wants to be your friend. He knows you, it says in Hebrews, better than you know yourself. He knows what you're going through. He put himself through it. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to weep with you. He wants to laugh with you. He wants to celebrate with you. He wants to mourn with you. He wants to feel with you. Jesus says, abide in my love. Stop looking for that love in other places that it can never give you. Abide in my love. Experience my love. 
enjoy my love. And I love how John 15, 13 says this. Same chapter, by the way, if you didn't catch that. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than a man lays down his life for his what? Not for his enemies, his friends. See, some of us are sitting here this morning, and we've raised our hand, we're like, yeah, I know this passage of scripture, but I wonder the last time you experienced the love that Jesus wants you to experience. And if you haven't, I guarantee you, you can trace it back that when's the last time that you've opened up the door and says, Jesus, I wanna let you into my life. I wanna spend time with you. I wanna read your words. I wanna tell you what's going on in my life. Chances are that that's what you're feeling right now because you haven't accepted the invitation. Here's the last thing. You experience Jesus' joy in you. Look at verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that, your joy may, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Notice that Jesus says, my joy. Like I've thought to myself, like I... I just don't know if I can muster up the joy right now, right? You've gone through something difficult. Maybe you're in one of these pruning seasons right now, and you're like, I don't know if I can muster up the joy. Well, can I encourage you? It's not your joy to muster up. It's Jesus' joy in you. And what does it say? And that your joy may be full. Like, I hate it when I go and I get a drink from somewhere, and they fill the cup with all ice so that they can put about a thimble's worth of whatever I'm drinking. Like, I'm like, dude, I'm on to you. Like, I know what you're trying to do. Like, I get it. Times are tough. You're trying to save money, but I paid for a full drink. So what do you do when you're through the drive-thru? I want to drink whatever it is with what? No ice. No ice. Why? Because you want to get what you paid for. See where I'm going with this. Jesus doesn't say he's gonna shortchange your joy when you abide with him. He says he is going to give it to the max. And it's not gonna be your joy, it's gonna be his joy. Think about this, the joy that Jesus had the joy to have joy in the midst of temptation in Matthew 4 when he's being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, but having that joy to sustain him, to resist that temptation because he was God. It was a God joy, not a man joy. The joy that he had to be able to celebrate with people and celebrate with his friends. Think of the wedding at Cana, what an awesome event that was. He was celebrating and enjoying his friends. There was joy in that. Think of the joy in miracles and the Lord being able to heal the blind and heal the lame and to be able to provide food for people when there was none and to do all the different miracles. I'm sure there was tremendous joy in that and it was Jesus' joy. Not your joy or mine. The joy for Jesus in the midst of betrayal, right? Being betrayed by someone that he spent three years with, someone who abided in him. Or the joy that Jesus had in the midst of the pain and the suffering and even praying, God, would there be another way? Would you allow it to be the case when he was in the garden or when he was being whipped 
or when he was standing on trial and so many people that he probably looked out in the audience that he saw at one time seemed to have a desire to want to follow him but were now yelling crucify. The same Jesus that went to the cross and hung naked on a tree and was pierced for your sins and mine, that same joy that Jesus had in the midst of it. When Jesus says that my joy may be in you, it's not a manufactured joy, it's not a human joy, it's divine joy. The same joy that says in Hebrews 2, we look to Jesus, we look to our vine. You don't look to your spouse, you don't look to your friends, you don't look to your pastor, you don't look to your life group leader, you don't look to your parents. Not that any of those people aren't important in your life, but you look to Jesus. He's the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, showing what joy produces. That's the type of joy that the Lord grows in me that can only happen when I abide with him. As we close this morning, I wanna ask you to commit to three things in these next six weeks. Here's the first one. I I want you to commit that you're gonna be here for the next six weeks. Like, man, Johnny, I got a business trip. I'm going to be away. I'll be on vacation in a few weeks. I get that. It's kind of the cool thing. We eliminated all excuses because now you can watch it. For the next six weeks, I'm going to be present here in this place, if at all possible, so that I can begin to learn what it means to abide. So I can be reminded maybe if you used to and you didn't now because what we're gonna lay out in the next five weeks from this day, the next five weeks is to equip you to know how to abide with Jesus, how to read his word, how to pray, how to hear and obey, how to share your grace story, how to pattern your life after Jesus. We're calling them our five abiding tools. Listen, if you've gotten coffee in the last six months, you've seen those things on the wall, those are the tools you're like, man, I wondered what that was, I wonder what that meant, I had no idea what those things were. That was on purpose, we wanted to create a curiosity. But commit to that, I'm gonna be present. Here's the next thing. If you're not involved in biblical community, whether that be a life group, whether that be you're signed up for Restore, which is another ministry to help you navigate through pain in your life, maybe you have something else and none of the groups work with your schedule, but getting connected into a life group or biblical community where you can begin to press down some of these things in your life. And here's the third thing. I want you to commit to being in God's word every day for the next six weeks. We have these custom journals that we produced. They say, make and mobilize disciples on the front. I'm gonna throw this team for a loop, but I don't know if you can zoom in on this. But inside, you'll find there's one side that has our Bible reading tool and the other side that has our prayer tool. This is designed to provide a way for you to abide with Jesus every day. You're like, John, I don't know those tools. Well, that's why I'm asking you to be here for the next five weeks, because I'm gonna explain it. But here's what we also did. On the, we also put inside every one of those journals, you'll get this if you get one of these. It explains the Bible reading tool and explains the prayer tool. You're like, well, Johnny, I don't know what to read. Well, we got that answer too because we have a Bible reading plan that's gonna walk alongside the importance of those things that I laid out over the next five weeks for you to be in God's word every day. You can pick up this journal if you don't have one at the Welcome Center, they're $10, it just covers our costs. If you don't have the money for $10 and you tell them it's on Johnny's tab and they will give you one. But I'm telling you, 
If you commit to being in God's word and prayer every day, I promise you, it will change the way that you see Jesus. I'm telling you. And here's what I've been praying, and here's what our staff has been praying and our elders have been praying, that you would be willing and dissatisfied to live that mediocre faith that you've been living and say, no, 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 Lord, I'm gonna open the door so that I can experience a vibrant, personal, life-giving relationship with you. That is what we are called to do as a church. Matthew 16, 13, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus says, I'm the rock that you build the church upon. And you and I, for followers of Jesus, are part of the church, which means our lives need to be built upon him. And the way that my life is built upon him is by doing what? By abiding with Jesus. These tools that we're laying out, that we'll lay out over the next five weeks and we'll press down on our life groups, the Bible reading tool and prayer tool this semester, it'll take us 18 months to press down all of these tools. But listen to me, what I love about them is they're simple enough for your kids to know them. And can I just fill you in? Your kids and your teenagers are learning these tools. But we are not gonna be satisfied in Salem Chapel for being a place that tells you something to do and doesn't equip you how to do it. It's not happening. We're setting a culture here so that you know how to abide with Jesus and you know how to help others. Would you stand with me this morning? God, we are here today to remind ourselves that you are the vine, we are the branches. And apart from abiding in you, we can experience nothing of eternal significance in our life. God, help us to be committed to that reality of abiding with you. Help us to open the door if we've shut it. If we're experiencing a vibrant relationship with you, Lord, help us to understand that we need to be diligent in that every day because it's so easy for it to slide off the table. But God, I pray that we'll look back at this moment in our lives and be able to say, that's when I rekindled or began experiencing an intimate relationship with Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.